Shop. Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast where I, Brian Gray, dive into my guest's relationship with their work to learn why they love to do what they do. Tonight with me is the 20-plus year improv veteran, author of the book, uh, Directing Improv, Show the Way by Getting Out of the Way, and educational director at the Institution in Austin, Texas, Asaf Ronan. I first met Asaf at the Seattle Festival Improvised Theater in 2010 when I took his workshop and promptly bought and devoured his book. I reached out to him when I was struggling to apply one of the chapters and was delighted when he chatted with me on the phone uh, for like two hours. Anyway, do you remember that? I do remember um, that, yeah. I don't know if you thought I was just some weirdo who kept talking to you. Um, no weirder than anyone else I've talked with <laughs> on the phone about improv anyway. That's we're all We're all weirdos. I guess, yeah. He uh, continues to be an incredibly nice guy, uh, such a sweetheart, and always interested to talk about the work um, as I crashed his birthday weekend here in Austin. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, Asaf Ronan. Yeah. Thank you so thank much you. for being thank here. Thank you, Ron. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sure you found that improvisers in general love talking about improv. I do. That's really the um, the reason I, I do this. I mean, this this whole podcast for me is um, it's called Talking Shop, and it's like a lot of the, the podcasts I listen to are like Mark Maroney, uh, let's talk about your your history and your life, and I get that. I love that too. But like, I'm always like when I listen to them, I'm like, I, I just get to that ten minutes more where you're talking about like how you actually like right. your scene work and that stuff that you do. Um, and I feel like I'll go out to the bar after a show and you know talk for an hour or two to people, and then eventually there's that moment where people are like, ah, let's you know enough shop talk, let's move on uh, because they're you know. Mm-hmm. Significant others are there, so I'm like right. muggles. <laughs> the muggles. I was so funny. I just did that at the party, and someone was like, "Did a soft tell you that?" I was like, "No, that's just a thing. That's a thing I do." Uh, but um, yeah, so I love this chance to like just set out some time of our day and say, "Like, we're just going to talk for a while." Um, and I also dig a lot, as you'll see, and, and I feel like when I prepare a little bit, it it helps me to um, know what I want to say and get into some of the areas I'm interested in. Let's start here. Uh, you have quoted uh, Tom Booker saying, "Improv is good for people who are both creative and lazy." Um, La- lazy, funny people. Lazy, That's funny people. Says. Yes. Uh, you also. It was an interview with Austin Culture Map. Said initiative is the most important thing for an improviser. Yes. Uh, which I love as well. And you seem like one of just the hardest working people in improv throughout your career. You have <laughs> so much going on all the time. So I guess I look at those and I say, you know, which is the truer? Aphorism: uh, Where do you land on uh, hard work versus laziness in improv? Well, let's <laughs> let's not compare initiative with work or effort. So, <laughs> I mean, initiative is showing up, mm-hmm. right? And so you just need to show up in the scene. If you're hanging back, well, there's what chance do you have if you're if you're hanging back? You got to make the choice first of all that you're going to step into this improv, and then. Um, the level at which you choose to initiate, that's the, the the more, the higher the level you choose to initiate, the higher the level you are as an improviser, right? Mm. So uh, the, the person that I love watching most of all, of all the improvisers that I've seen is TJ Jagodowski. Yeah. And what I love in watching him, he's the improviser I always strive to be. Because if you watch him, he engages on so many different levels, all simultaneously and all immediately. He's there in a physicality. He's clearly got some 
energy behind his choice. He's got uh, emotion or intention or point of view, engagement. He's kind of he creates part of the space as part of it, and he got he does all of this and he fills it all out simultaneously with such commitment that it's really impressive, especially because he does it so consistently. It, it is amazing, and I get the feeling watching him that it's not like it's not like you're watching the clock turn. Like it's just instinct for him right. at this point, uh, which is so incredible. Yes. Yeah, that switch just flips on in him, and he's there, and he goes. And I think we all, some improvisers have to learn to flip that switch, Yeah, you know, of just kind of getting in there at all. I've had people that I've taught that I had to literally push them out into the scene, <laughs> yeah. and, um, and then once they find the success of doing that, then they're always out there. But they're always worried that they're going to they're gonna face plant. So, so how does that work with those, I guess, shyer or, or less initiative improvisers? Like you say, you literally push them. Are, are you, you know, just saying, like, this next scene, you know, Jacob, you initiate? Or are you kind of up there? Like, like, how do you get them across that first threshold? Um, some cases, and it's probably in the worst case scenario, I try to give them some... Uh, parameters for the first choice that they make. Mm. So there are some people that I've said, okay, whatever scene you step out into, I want your character to step stage front and pretend there's a huge um, ceiling. To, you, you saw this. I did this in the. I think I did this in the, uh, in the diagnostics, diagnostics class yeah. that you sat in on. Uh, there's a huge mirror, and I want you to step up to that mirror in character and adjust something on your body. So at the very least, you've made that little choice, whether it be you're wearing that bow tie or that big, wide-brimmed hat or that belt or something, and just letting yourself do that's going to lead to other choices. Even if just so, sometimes I give them that little small what I call an access point into a scene. We all have a different access point. Some people think environment first. Some people think emotion first. Some people think uh, scenario first. You know, whatever it is. But um, once we have that access point, we can get deeper and deeper. So you're not going to be as prescriptive about this is the access point I think is successful. It's To you, it's just having an access point to get you off and running. Yeah, sometimes I get a read on the person I think what will help them most. And some, what I love about the mirror, the, the go adjust yourself in the mirror is it internalizes the physicality in a certain way, like it very close to the vest, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, and it gets them in their body right away. Some people, I'll give them the, uh, when you walk out to the stage, I want you to go through a door, and I want it to be a different kind of door every single time. Because some people need to kind of connect to the space more strongly, and sure. I get a sense that that's probably going to help them. And I don't even know why I get that sense sometimes. Sometimes I'm wrong, you know, yeah. and, you know, it's like, fine. I mean, they'll get something out of it. Um, but... Uh, yes, I tried different things for different people. Um, yeah, you mentioned the uh, the diagnostics class, and I yeah. did want to um, talk to you a little bit about that. Uh, so you, you teach this drop-in diagnostics class yes. uh, once a week? Uh, it's every no, week. Well, yeah. no, no, it's once a month that we're doing it. It's once a month, okay. Yeah. Uh, and I, I feel like you're one of a few teachers who just has this reputation for being able to, even before I met you, <laughs> to be able to watch someone for you know two, three minutes and say, 
this is the area that you need to focus on or here's something to to help you um do you have a sense of like how and you said you know sometimes you're wrong certainly but like do you have a sense of how you develop that skill is that something you can work to hone or is that just experience over time it was 99 spring of 99 I went, or was it spring of 2000? Either 99 or 2000, I went to Chicago for the first time, and I got to audit a Mick Napier class. He let me sit in on his class. And Mick Napier, I've sat in on a few of his classes, and he would have a class of like 60 people in it. That's crazy, because, you know... Um, and he would run everybody through a scene, and at the end of the scene, he would go down the line, and he would remember everybody's name, because yeah. he told himself, I, I talked to him about this, he used to have a horrible memory, and then he decided to stop telling himself that, and he trained his memory, and now he can go down the line of 60 people, and say, uh, call them by name, and go, listen, you do this, and then at this point of the scene, this happens, and you know, and so one of the things you need to think about is this, etc., and he would diagnose each one of them, down a line of 60 and I was like this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life and then so I strive to be that and what I do is I kind of I, I watch patterns more than I watch content hmm. um, and and it's like I watch things like okay the energy was here and now all of a sudden the energy dipped why what happened there and I usually Based on that, I can say, okay, there was a little bit of judgment. What could they possibly have been judging themselves about, et cetera, et cetera. And I tend to get in the ballpark based on that. Because sometimes I just tune out what's actually, what the scene is, yeah. you know, what the dialogue is, what the plot points are, and all that stuff. Which was really helpful. One year I got invited to judge uh, uh, a, a theater sports tournament in uh, Norway. Oh, wow. And it was all in Norwegian. <laughs> so I'm watching scenes in Norwegian, and I'm judging them. Yeah. You know? But because I'm, like, watching patterns and all this stuff, and luckily I had two other judges with me that I could ask them and go, okay. Was this uh, scene about... Yeah. Well, or I go, okay, his, he just dropped a bomb. Clearly, he just told them a secret. Okay. What was the secret? And then it's like, oh, okay. And then <laughs> go back into it. But it's like I can tell those things... That's fascinating. Um, and so it helps me diagnose people because, you know, the content is seen. Who cares? Right. You know, if they're in a hospital or whatever, I can't see the goddamn hospital anyway. I don't care how good their mime is. It doesn't really matter. Um, it's all about how we are with each other and those the dynamics of that for me. So I can diagnose that when people back off on those diagna- uh, dynamics or make that sudden change, and it's like, well, where did that change come from? Was it organic to the scene, or it was it them trying to satisfy something that clearly just exists in their brain? Um, so I watch the patterns instead of the content. Uh, it's great. It just occurred to me that I want to put this on airplane mode, so nothing bothers this as well. Um, so you mentioned McNapier, and I wanted to talk a little bit about just your influences because um, I feel like your philosophy is a, is a little bit of a, a hodgepodge and is really fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, so, so like even you as a person come, you know, less from theater or comedy, you have more of a background of like poetry and playwriting, mm-hmm. um, some self-taught improv in college. 
and then you know you were on the road for a long time. Where'd you get all that from? Uh, I do my homework. Uh, wow! I, I, I read some articles, listen to some podcasts. Um, so you, uh, uh, so I guess if you were to sum that up to like, like what have been some of your biggest influences on your improv ideas and philosophies uh, that that kind of make up what you're you're playing and teaching now. Wow, that's a huge question, Brian. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Too how, big. <laughs> I'm trying to break it down in my head. Yeah. Um, it's really incredible um, because my influences have ranged from uh, from Mick Napier, who really I really learned a lot about how to teach from watching Mick Napier. Um, he's really surgical in what he points out, and he doesn't give too much information. It's like start here, let's see what happens kind of thing. And that's something I very much appreciated. I don't want to derail you, but I am. But uh, so you, but you, you never lived in Chicago. I never lived in Chicago. How, how did you get exposed to Mick just on the road, on, on festival circuit? Yeah, festival circuit. I used to do, I used to do festivals uh, pretty regularly. I've done as many as uh, 14 festivals a year. Wow, okay. Um, I used to, yeah, there were a couple of years while I was living here in Austin that I made all my money teaching at festivals. So if you, so when you were at festivals either in Chicago or if he was there, you would just, you'd yeah. take classes or yeah. just be able to yeah. sit in on things. With oh, sh- okay. shit, yeah. 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 I could say shit, yeah. It's a podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So he was a major influence on me. In regards to that, and I, I learned so much from watching him. Um, and but it like my influences range from him to reading uh, Eckhart Tolle. Mm. Um, Eckhart Tolle. One of the things that I love about Eckhart Tolle is oh god, what the, there's there's one passage in particular that I quote in my physical imp- oh our need to label things, mm. you know. But in labeling things, we actually distance ourselves from the experience. So doesn't that totally relate to improv and how yeah. some improvisers go out and they immediately try to label who, the who, what, where in the scene. And there's sometimes where that who, what, where comes out very organically, but there are other times where it's completely this panic move because they're, they're worried they won't know otherwise what's going on. They, they, they don't feel comfortable moving forward. But in labeling, we tend to distance ourselves. For example, I've seen a lot of honeymoon scenes. And nine times out of ten, there is an affair that is either revealed in the course of the honeymoon scene, or um, they have an affair with someone who works at the place where the honeymoon is taking place. Right? Because we tend to, okay, honeymoon... And we start to get self-reference all the honeymoon scenes that we've seen or something, or we, we immediately feel that oh, there needs to be a conflict. Well, what kind of conflict? Well, an affair, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to, no, let's just see what this honeymoon looks like. Let's not try to label it or try to plot it out. Just let's see two people happy on a honeymoon for once. I've never seen two people on a happy honeymoon <laughs> in an improv scene. Yeah. One of the, uh, the notes you gave me, I think this is back in Seattle, but stuck with me for a long time, was like, I would always be, or I said something like, you know, I get in my head about talking head scenes, and you said, you know, maybe just 
if you're in a talking head scene, instead of thinking, how do I make it not a talking head scene, just do the best talking head scene you can be in. And I was just like, ah, oh, that really, it stuck with me ever since then. Oh, um, wow. I feel like that's kind of... Have you had some really good talking head scenes? You know, I wish I could say that I have. Uh, I, I do think, I, 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 I have, I think I still struggle with it, but I, I'm much more willing to say, you know, maybe not specifically in talking head scenes. I think there are definitely times where I'm pushing less f- on changing the scene I'm in. So I'll just be like, you know, I'm just going to be... Because for me, it's that same, like, trite mode where I try to get out of things I've done before. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this is what I'm in now. I'm just going to do the hell out of it. Right. Um, but I do, yeah, I do still struggle with that. Right. But sometimes the difference between two scenes doesn't exi- exist until the last 5%. And isn't that still valid? You know what I mean? It is. Like, yeah. look at all the movies that Hollywood puts out. Like all the superhero movies. Aren't all superhero movies basically the same? Right. Especially the origin movies. Life's kind of horrible, and then this thing is thrust upon you, and then you have to deal with it, and then you have that call to action. It's all basically the same formula, but with these little key differences. You know. But if you took all the differences sometimes between some of these movies... It won't amount to more than 15%, 20%. But isn't that still valid? And that's valid? the big difference. But yeah. isn't that, that still that, valid? That, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Um, so, so in 2008, uh, you joined Tom Booker in founding the Institution Theater. Yes. Um, which the, the impression I he get... He founded it. Let's, uh, he founded it, and I came along. That's true. Because uh, we were roommates. He founded it, right. You you joined him in... Uh, I just tagged along one day as he was teaching. Because <laughs> I was moping on the couch, and he saw I was moping on the couch. And he says, why don't you come, come with me to class? <laughs> and so that great. was pretty much it. That uh, was the start of our partnership. Uh, which is wonderful. And now... So now you are um, education director. Yes. And, um, uh, and it, it, the impression I get is the theater is focused on sort of improvising from a, a place of joy. Um, does that sound like a reasonable summary? Um, a place of um, power sounds a little too grandiose, but definitely from coming from a place of energy, of mm-hmm. intention. And that intention should be something that's fun for us to do. You know, uh, one of the things I've often said in my classes is, you're the director and writer of this scene. Why are you choosing the shit script? You <laughs> yeah. know, cho- you have the opportunity to choose the fun script every single time you step forward. You know, those characters that you want to play, those situations you want to see happen, that that dialogue you want to say. You know, that kind of that the stuff that you enjoy that taps into the kinds of stories or scenes or interactions that you enjoy seeing in other forms of art. Um, you have the opportunity in that very first step to bring it. So why don't you take that in that very first step? Yeah, and the, the impression I got from the the diagnostics and, and sort of you talking through that is is there is this focus, this sort of annoyance as focus on, you know, let's make sure that when I come out that I am taking care of myself first, that I have something fun for me to do. Um, you know, it's not at the expense, it's sort of for the benefit of my partner mm-hmm. but different from this approach of I'm going to walk out on stage and connect first with my partner yeah. um, is, is that yeah sound? and it's very annoyance influence I don't know that it's exactly annoyance but it's very much influenced by the annoyance who say that the best gift you can give your scene partner is a strong sense of yourself mm-hmm. you know you, you come at them a certain way they immediately know how to respond to that they know how to relate to it but if you come in kind of blank canvas, 
which I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying script your entrances or anything like that, but come in with a certain energy, come in with a certain intention or something. Um, if the scene gets jump started that much quicker and has that much more potential moving forward. Yeah, and I think that's what I struggle with a little bit, that uh, how to get to that point without kind of scripting an entrance. So maybe could you talk through, like, if, if you were thinking of the, the perfect improv scene in your mm. philosophy, I know no such thing exists, but, like, oh. what would be the, you know, what would be in, you know, if you and I were to do a scene, like, what would be in your mind and then in my mind? Like, how would those first few lines progress? Mm-hmm. Uh, does that make sense if you were to like kind of talk through like what would I magic. come in with yeah like what do you come in with and how does that lead to what you say and then what how do I react and what have I come in with how does that lead to what I say and so forth well I can't speak about the general vague scene like if we were to jump into a scene right now mm-hmm. I would kind of notice right now my body's very relaxed so we'd probably want to start at a heightened energy and right now like even just as I'm saying that I'm lifting my neck straight up and I've got this kind of tension developing in my body that I'm now and my voice is changing as a result so now this is probably the energy I would step into a scene right now in based on that so this is the this is the character I would be playing right now this the guy who talks at this speed this consistency etc 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 so just because so when the lights came up you yes. were blank right um, outside of how you're sitting yeah and then all that happened in the first second the first yeah you know if even if right even, okay and so now I'm talking to this guy and it feels very salesman but I don't know that I'm a salesman but I know that I'm going to now direct this at you this this guy of like and so my immediate thought is I'm looking at you and I'm checking in. Hey, buddy, how's it going? How are you doing? Right? You mm-hmm. know, and then that's like I'm bringing that at you, that energy. Um, and I usually tap in very strongly into the rhythm of a scene. And part of that is that I do confidence men, which is improvised mammoth, which is all about rhythm. <laughs> and so that's really um, instilled in me a love of rhythm in scenes, you know, that rapport that makes each dynamic different from every other dynamic that you get to play. Yeah. In a sense, you're, it sounds like that shows a lot of what you were talking about in your diagnostics where you're focusing on yeah. rhythm over uh, content. Because content. Yeah. if you're, when your dialogue keeps getting cut off by the other person and vice versa, it's like content's going to come out in a different way. So you, so you get to that heightened state you're checking in with me yeah uh, and, and, how, and how does that uh, come out into a into a line for you into dialogue? yeah so like right there it was hey buddy how you doing how are you doing well right doing mm-hmm. well it's a good day and then it's in, a very good day in your perfect world I have also so I come out with nothing I've already made some choices though yeah in that time similar probably. to what you did probably um, and then I am using a similar kind of I'm you know, so I'm sitting back, my legs are crossed, I'm more mm-hmm. relaxed. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm a little intimidated by your mm-hmm. uh, by your energy, right? You know, so you know I, you know, come back with uh, you know with a little more frightened or put off attitude. You right. Know, oh, uh, it's it's okay. I don't. You know, I'm not right. not looking to purchase anything today. Right. So forth, and then we're off yeah. to the races. Yeah. And I'll tell you one thing that I uh, often look for in a scene is like. Okay, your response to me, I pushed a certain button on you, mm. right? Like you just said, you're intimidated. Your character's intimidated. Yeah. Which makes me want to be more intimidating as a character, right? Because I pushed that reaction in you. 
well, I'm not going to back off of that. I'm going to keep pursuing that, right? And the, do the dialogue that goes along with that. You right. know, that, oh, I'm not trying to sell you anything, buddy. I'm just here. We're, I'm a friendly guy. Here we are, same train, you know? <laughs> you know, we're going to be, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be on this train for the next six hours. I'm going to make some friends while I'm here, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's a potential friend. And do you, so at institution, do you, do you talk about that as game or just as generally, you know, like, well, that's a specific example of uh, there's an emotional. Uh, uh, I talk I'm about dynamic. dynamic. I talk about dynamic, mm-hmm. and sometimes that dynamic leads to a game. Sometimes, in the course of a dynamic, you have multiple games playing. I feel like games sometimes gets defined as one specific arc that's going on, uh, which sometimes I think is a little bit limiting because I've seen games change, sure. or I've seen multiple games happen um so uh but i do touch upon game as kind of that fun thing that we tapped into that more than one person tapped into for me that's how i define game um and uh oh there's so much i want to talk about uh so just to touch on a little bit so some of those ideas like um you you teach 300 level yeah level three yeah um so, uh, what what specifically is that? Uh, is that level three? Um, that's when we start to get into. Um, well, up until that point, they've been working on scenes and scene dynamics, and it's usually been revolving around two person scenes. Just exploring all the possibilities on that, and then when we get to three, it's then okay. Now let's expand outward. And what's involved in that group scenes and being able to involve more people simultaneously in the dynamic without us getting overwhelmed or confused about it. And then connecting scenes, both by the edits and also notice the thematic connections or callbacks or whatever other connections are are, are possible between scenes. Let's do some improv. understand is that in me bringing you on I'm taking a chance on you I appreciate it I appreciate you sticking your neck out like this and believe me I won't disappoint I've got a reputation in this town and every decision that I make undergoes the scrutiny of of everyone in this circle. You, you gotta know. You gotta know that I'm a hard worker. I may not be the best worker, but I'm a hard worker. Listen, you've already sold yourself. I'm bringing you on. But you gotta understand that I I work really hard. So just just but by you bringing me on, I want I want you to be excited, Jake. I want you to be excited about working together. Don't get excited anymore. I've been in this business too long. I've I've trained a lot of fighters. I've taken a lot of them under my wing. I don't get excited anymore. I miss I miss you being excited. There was there used to be a sparkle in your eye when you brought on the new guys. That's why that's half why I wanted to come here. Just to see that sparkle. Listen, 
When you're like me and you recognize you're about two feet from death in life, you don't worry about the sparkle anymore. You're just going day to day. You don't worry about just... You, what's the point of almost dying if you never lived in the first place? I've lived. I haven't... You wouldn't... I. You couldn't get to where I am now in my life. I'm on the perch. I'm in the catbird seat. You don't appreciate nothing you got. You don't appreciate me. You don't appreciate your mother. You spoken to my mother? She misses you. I knew you were trying to track me down for a while. You you spoke you spoke to my mother. She was she was hoping I'd find you here. She how do you think she still has your letters. They had your your address on them. She read every one you you wrote, even though she could never write back. I was supposed to be schooling you, but now it seems like that table is turned. I always believe we got something to learn from everyone, no matter how big or how small. You, did you come here to learn to fight, or did you come here to psycho-tweak me? Why has it got to be one or the other? Because it does. Because... When you get out there, you, your instincts have got to be all about, all about you and how best to protect yourself and not necessarily how to change the other person. I don't want you to change the other person. I just want you to knock them down. That's how you win a fight. You crying, Jake? No. You crying? No. It's okay to cry. It's okay for a grown man to cry. No, I don't got sparkles and I don't got tears. These eyes are dead. Tell yourself what you want. These windows are shuttered. Your tears tell me something else. The curtains are drawn. I know what's inside you. Boarded up. Lights are out. Trick-or-treaters need not come by. Ding dong. Damn it, Stanley. Damn it. the door, Jake. You're gonna clearly be the end of me. I got a reputation that... I got... I got to where I am by being steely. Steely and closed off. So I could focus on... On... What it takes to make a fighter a fighter. And you're the best damn fighter in Alabama. I was the best damn fighter. Now I'm the best damn coach. Good coach, but those boys need more than best a hard coach. edge. I'm the best damn coach. They need a they need a soft pillow sometimes. Ah. The world's changed around me. I didn't, I didn't grow up in a world of soft pillows. I'm sure my mom told you that. I grew up in a world of Wooden doors and leather belts. The world has changed around you. There's a. There's 
all new ways that boys relate to other boys and other girls and I just no don't touch me I can't let you in I can't go any other way I was told not to leave here without that locket that locket that meant that you still cared about your mother. If you'd kept it all these years. It's right here. See? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Hey, that, that was nice and stylistic. I love it when it's... Uh, when it feels like a genre without you actually being able to name the exact genre. Yeah, it was like a little... I, I couldn't tell if it was like... Yeah, it was. you said it right. Like It felt like old-timey, but I couldn't quite yeah. tell. It was like it was. we were referencing like like new age things, but it felt like it was, right. it was like an, an older time. That was good. I liked it. Yeah, I felt... It's interesting, too, because coming out of diagnostics and a lot this week, I'm, I'm trying to push my emotional self, but I felt like... Like, I got a little bit in my head at one point because I was like, I feel like you are have this great arc and you're being affected and changing. And I'm just like, I was like a foil to you, which wasn't necessarily a bad oh. thing, but I felt like I wanted to, like, be more affected. But I, w- I was kind of just there to... Uh, I felt like you were. I felt the connection between the two characters and I was kind of... It was nice. You threw some curveballs at me, like the mother thing mm-hmm. was a nice curveball that I enjoyed. Yeah, and I think it was a good build because, like, some when it came out, I, I'm trying to remember exactly what I was thinking, but, it, like, in my mind it was like we were, uh, like, you were training me and I was your son or something, so, like, I was like, oh, I'll connect. Like, we, we basically were, at that point, I wasn't sure who we were, but then I loved that you made it, like, basically we we had a shared past, but it wasn't that, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, that was really nice. So, so thinking through, uh, especially those opening moments and stuff, like, for you, was that, because when, especially in that diagnostic class, I felt like it was very much like I had to come out with something, and I was struggling with that, mm-hmm. and this, I felt, was much more in my comfort zone of just, like, we sat and connected until right. something came out, and then, then I was able to react. Is that is that more your sweet spot for play, or do you... I'm very patient at the top, and I just, like... Um, I love what because I came into improv from a writing background, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm very conscious of the writing of the scene sometimes, and I love when the information unfolds at a certain pace. Like in my mind, I thought in the beginning I was kind of talking to you, and I was getting this inkling that uh, there was kind of a mafia. This was a mafia. Oh, kind of yeah. thing, and then at some point. When I don't know why yeah, I switched. you didn't name the planes name. until, and that was really and helpful. I, me, and but I, I'm trying to remember what I was thinking it was. And then I think at some point I said I, I brought up the idea of training fighters. And yeah, stuff, and yeah. I don't know sense. what sparked me in that direction, but I felt like I responded to Actually, something that, yeah, you said. You said training fighters because the whole yeah. in my mind you, after you said that I was thinking you were like training like bomber fighters like in the army, but in, 
I don't think you ever said that. You just said training fight. Like we could have been like boxers I, or something. That's what I was that's thinking. What you thought. Yeah, boxers. the whole time I thought we were like like Top Gun fighters. Oh really? <laughs> oh, I don't wow. know why, why my mind went there. It doesn't didn't matter. Well, I yeah. Well, I mentioned the the knock the other guy down. Ah, but I guess you could do guess, that as yeah. a bomber fighter. And that's why I don't get too caught up in context of scenes. It's like there's the moment. Uh, I always define story as moment plus context. And moment is the thing you have the control over. You don't have control over the context. That the context comes up naturally. And chances are people listening to the scene are, were applying their own information, especially since they're not getting any visuals with them. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they're filling in all sorts of visuals, but we can look back and go, oh, yeah, and see it through that lens instead. I love that, too, that that kind of... I think that was such a good example of those scenes where, like, the 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 tension... And that relationship was so clear, despite the fact that we some of those details were really never revealed. No. Like it, we we really didn't need them. Um, right. Yeah, I think uh, we can can wrap up. I did get one question on Facebook. So usually I'll take some questions. Oh, um, right. But I do want to to ask you about that because that's a, a question that I struggle with as well. Which is, um, I know you've talked about doing less troops and more projects. Mm-hmm. And I think this may be a question more for troops, and that might be the easiest answer. But it's basically about like how do you balance the needs of the show overall versus the needs of individual improvisers in your show? So like you need to work on you know need to work on this. You're doing a great job on this versus as a group we all need to work on this um, over time when you're you know when you're coaching a group or, or directing a, a piece. Ah, oh, that's good. Uh... It's a good question. What kind of answer do I give that applies across the board? Or um, you can answer separately if that's easier. Um, the main thing is for me, it's something I've, I've really been aware of, when, especially when I coach a troupe and they, they have a certain show type of show that they do, a format of the show, is watching the balance of when the format's serving them and when they're serving the format. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Like, sometimes people create these formats because they so want to be different from... You know, we all improvisers wa- end up watching a lot of improv. Mm-hmm. And so this really sparks that obligation in some improvisers' brains to be so totally different from anything you've ever seen. And then they create this very convoluted format that involves too many hoops that you're jumping through. And so my thought is this, and, and I, I think I got this from Dave Rozowski, where I think he said 90% of improv is casting. And I agree I with totally that. I totally agree with I that. Mean, a troupe I mean, yeah. a troupe is the individuals, right? And how these individuals come together and what they bring to the table. That's also what I, when I sit my 301s down on the first day, I say, listen, you guys know how to improvise. You know what improv looks like today. This this class is about learning what you bring to the table when you improvise. Right? That's great. Um, so for me, it's hard to discern between the needs of the group and the needs of the individual because um, all those individuals fit in, you know, fill out what ultimately the style of the group is or the the voice of the group is. Um, and so sometimes those individual needs line up in a way that kind of affects a group need. Because also I believe that if you if you work on anything, any one thing, first of all, all of us can stand to work on all the skills 
constantly. We never stop growing Fair, as improvisers. Yeah. And that if you work on any, it's like if you work on emotion or you work on environment or you work on whatever other possible thing you could work on in your improv, it will affect other things. So um, for me, it's this wonderful puzzle of, okay, I see this person's having trouble with this. I have seen, see this person's having trouble with this. Where's the common ground that kind of helps them uh, both? Because by affecting this, I can affect those things that they need to work on, et cetera, et cetera. I'm always looking for those types of things that tie them all together. Makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know if I answered, or if, it, that, it, if that was a that was such a complicated answer. It was, that. but I think it makes sense. I mean, I, I still think. I mean, there are definitely times where I see like uh, groups I'm with where I'm like, you know, these couple of people have this struggle, and I, I, I prefer like I, I usually don't give a lot of notes, and this may I think I was really affected from your book in, in my note giving, but I've continued to grow and grow from them. Where a lot like I'll, I'll tend to give just a few notes and then focus more on exercises to say like let's actually drill and work on these things yeah but like if it's just a few people I, it may be a long time or like never i mean like never hit those things so that's usually where i struggle with where it's like if this is something we're all working on i will definitely like that's what we're doing in rehearsals is working on those things whereas if it's just a few people um like one thing i was doing for a while with one of my teams was i had these after hours where every rehearsal i'd stay with like two people and rotate those two through and we would just be like let's just work on scenes like let's just work on your scene work whatever I've been noting you on mm-hmm. um, but I don't know that that you know I don't, that those are like house teams those are teams that were like put together just to do whatever um, so right. I don't know uh, regardless I mean like the biggest thing I didn't even touch on was creating forms which is such a wealth for you there's so much I want to talk to you about so I'll definitely have to talk I to you again I love creating forms I know it's such a there's so I've much helped, I have I've, to talk to you about <laughs> I've, I've coached a lot of troops here in Austin and I've ended up uh, making major changes to their formats as part of coaching them in a way to kind of, because I recognize okay you guys enjoy doing this and you need a format that really inspires that in you and so uh, I'm, I'm really good at creating those little tweaks to formats or creating whole formats that kind of help them help groups celebrate what it is that they do such a wonderful skill um but we'll we'll leave it here it's been so great to talk to you and i appreciate you taking the time fun Uh, fun super cool and uh oh before we go um i definitely want to plug so i'm going to get this out before your workshops in pittsburgh so you're coming Mm. up um, yes and if you don't know the dates off the top of your head, because I don't. July 30th and August 1st. Beautiful. At 7 o'clock classes. I'm teaching a directing improv class, I believe, uh, on the 30th, and a diagnostics class on the 1st. Um, those might be pretty self-explanatory. Do you want to say a little bit about like who would want to come to either of those for people listening? Well, directing improv class is not just for people that want to become directors or, or teachers or whatever. It kind of helps you look at scenes differently and uh, learn how to be better directed as well as become directors. That's one of the things that I look there. And then the diagnostics class is like a boot camp of like, okay, here's the patterns you play under. Let's break that pattern a little bit. Just kind of broaden your range. And that's that's the goal of that class. Love it. Um, anything else you want to plug? Um... Uh, Directing directing Improv, which is available um, via yesand.com. If you go to yesand.com, 
uh, you can uh, there's a link to purchase that book and in the Institution Theater here in Austin, Texas. Come visit us. Come visit us in Austin. It's an amazing community, as you pointed out in your blog. And yeah. We really appreciate that. Awesome. Glad you uh, checked it out. And yeah, I can second that definitely. It's been so wonderful being here. Uh, everyone is so amazingly friendly, and the scene here is just uh, really incredible. There's so much good work going on. Yeah. Uh, so much cool stuff. So. Uh, cool. So thank you again. Uh, we'll uh, wrap it up there. Yay. Our podcast was recorded today at the Hideout Theater in Austin, Texas. Special thanks to our guest, Asaf Ronan, for being awesome and also hooking us up with uh, the space at the Hideout, and the talented Michelle Horsley for our opening theme. For this and past episodes, head on over to brianmgray.com slash podcast, and please, if you liked the episode, leave a review on iTunes. Thanks.